Good morning. How are you all doing? Good and happy Mother's Day. It's uh, great to, to just uh, celebrate all of you who are mothers or uh, those of you who have kind of stepped in and taken that role in uh, somebody's life somewhere. And great to have all of you that are uh, joining us uh, online right now. And uh, can you start the clock? I say that for everyone else, not me so much. Um, thank you. Um, so last week, uh, Seth uh, spoke about creating moments, uh, m- moments uh, that would be important and milestones and that sort of thing. And one of the points he made in there was about uh, creating moments that create connection. And as I listened to him talk and we had worked on that and, and as, as the preaching team was thinking about this week, just felt like it'd be really good uh, to piggyback on that point that he made about creating moments that create connection because there's such a need there and to actually uh, unfold that a little bit more. And, you know, when you think about the problem of connection, um, it's not always what we think it is. You know, like uh, think about... Think about your cell phone and how many contacts you have in your cell phone. I, like, like if you've had your phone for any number of years, like it starts to build up. I mean, like think about how many you might have. It, it'd probably be shocking, wouldn't it, to think about how many you have. Or think about um, how many uh, people you're connected to on like Facebook or Twitter or on social media. And, you know, there's probably a bunch of people on that that aren't in your uh, phone. Or think about how many coworkers you know. That, like when you, you know, walk around the halls that there you recognize this face or that face or you know this person or whatever. And you think about all the contact we have. Like we have like lots of contact, don't we? But that doesn't necessarily mean um, that, that we've created some sort of, of contact or relationship that is a me, that's a meaningful contact. That, and what I mean by meaningful is this idea that you're bonded to that person in some important, meaningful way uh, in there. Um, so, like, when you think about all of those uh, contacts uh, that you have, think, think about, like, all of those people in the last week or on a weekly basis, how many of those people do you have that moment, right, that, that you'd say, man, that there was a, a sense of deep meaningfulness in my interaction with that person. And all of a sudden, that list of all those contacts starts going like way, 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 way down, doesn't it? It like starts to shrink. And I think that's the thing. That's the thing that is happening and is an issue. And, and why I wanted to come back and talk about this more. You know, it's interesting when you think about our youngest adult generation. You know, Gen Zers are now moving into adulthood. And if there's any generation that has mastered technology, has mastered, you know, the ability to connect with tens of thousands of people electronically and through all the things in this world, like it's Gen Zers, right? They, they understand that world. They're comfortable with that world. It's who I go to when I need help right away, right? Um, I have a daughter who's a Gen Zer and she's the one that like, I can give her my phone. She's like, oh dad, I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm so glad you're in my life. Um, but it's interesting uh, when you look at uh, Generation uh, uh, Z, um, in some ways, uh, they're one of the most connected generations we've ever seen. When we just think of connection as like, you know, 
contact list, who, who, who I'm in contact with on social media or whatever it might be. Um, it's interesting. On average, the average Gen Zer spends nine hours of screen time on their phone a day. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, but that's like part of the issue. And this is self-reported by Gen Zers. So this is not someone from another generation saying, you Gen Zers, you're on, the, you're on the phone too much. And this is, I think this is what's going on. Gen Zers self-report. Um, and, and it would be 73% of all Gen Zers would self-report that they always uh, or often, most often, feel lonely. And that's a lot, isn't it? And yet, despite being connected in all those different ways, there's, there's not a meaningful connection there. By the way, the average American, not Gen Zer, but all generations, the average American, six hours of screen time per day. And I say that because this isn't just a Gen Z issue. It's an every generation issue. It's... It's all of us that we live in this world that, and it's not that technology is bad. I'm not saying that at all. It's just, it's easy in our world to have a connection problem. And despite all of that connection that we have, what we, what we hunger for is a sense of meaningful connection. I was in the doctor's office this past Friday, uh, walked in and the waiting room was packed. They were like an hour behind on things. And so I'm sitting there, um, ran into somebody that I knew, sat down uh, next to him, and he and I had a talk, and like, it, was, it was great, because I've known him for years and years and years. Uh, and then his name got called, and he went out, and of course, me being me, I'm in a waiting room filled with all these people, right? And, and I end up uh, talking with a man who is probably a generation or two older than me now. And we get into this conversation and we're talking about all these different things. And I asked him, you know, just like he explained like the medical issue that he was in there for an injury. And I had my injury that I was in there for that they were checking up on. And, and as he talked through it, there, it was really interesting. There just came this moment where he talked about like, you know, what might be next. And then he just paused and like stared off for just a brief moment. And he said, you know, I don't know if anybody even hardly knows I'm in here going through this. And it just hit me that as we talked about that, all of a sudden, he felt the lack of meaningful connection there. And, and that, that's the issue. You know, we think loneliness is when like no one else is around, when there's no connection. But one of the loneliest places to be is when people are all around you, but you have no meaningful connections. That, that's the thing. And, and I want to talk about that today because what I want to get into, and again, this is piggybacking off of Seth's talk from last week, is how to create moments that create meaningful connection. How, how, to do, how we can do something that helps uh, with this. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at the early church, I, I want to look at something with the early church, that th there's some things that they did, and just in us looking at it a little bit, there's a gift for us in this, that, that they, 
they faced some things. And there were some things that they did that actually become a gift for us in what we can do. And, and I kind of want to get into that. And, but the way I want to get into that is I, I want to read it to you out of, out of a, at my first adult Bible. Okay? And, and the reason is, um, and I say my first adult Bible. I think I was eight, year old, eight years old when I got it, but it was like the first time, and it was right before my family started coming to this church. And that church, uh, I guess at like some point in the Sunday school class I was in, they gave all of us like a real translation of the Bible. And one of the first things that we read and studied in Sunday school out of that was this passage about the early church. And when they described what the early church was doing, it just, it was lost on me at first, okay? And the reason I bring that up is because I think it's easy for us to get lost on some of these things, but there's, there's something really beautiful that I don't want us to miss in all of this. So I, I'm gonna read it to you right out of, uh, out of my, my, my first Bible that was like a real translation. And I'm shocked that I even still have it, but I, but I do. Um, this is found in Acts chapter two. Um, and I'm gonna start in verse 43. And it's just a description of the early church. And, and here's what it says. It says, and fear came a- upon every soul. Ooh, and, and, and like probably you all have, trans- this is an older translation, probably describes it as like amazement or wonder or something like that. Um, but I remember as like an eight-year-old, like, like whoa, what, what's going on in that church that every soul is like filled with fear? Um, and then it goes on. Um, which in my little eight-year-old brain was just like, that's, this is weird. It says, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And I remember just like, all, like, like signs and wonders. I didn't know if like everyone was afraid, but now like, is this the county fair? Or like, I didn't know what to picture with this early church in all of this. And then it goes on in verse 46 and it describes this. And it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. And that was probably one of the first times I ever heard the term, like breaking bread. It's just like, did they not have bread knives back then? Like, what, like what's going on in this thing? Uh, breaking bread in their homes. And then I love this, didn't know what to do with this. They partook. They partook of food with glad and generous hearts, right? And it was just, I don't know. As an eight-year-old, it was a little strange. And maybe uh, you'll hear this for the first time and you're just like, that is a little strange. Or maybe you're just like, it's a, it's a yawner. Like, what's going on here? But let me say this. There are actually some things that come out of this text that they're doing that were actually creating moments, key moments, helping this early church have meaningful connection that allowed them to thrive. And uh, the reason this is so important is because when you think about the early church, don't think about the early church uh, as just uh, like a little homogenous group of people that were all very similar and they probably just all knew each other and it was just real easy to step out and go do this thing, right? Um, The early church became so diversified, so fast, right? Once it launches, um, it was a church that was made up of so many different kinds of people um, in terms of like backgrounds from different countries and regions. Um, you had Jews, which we would expect, but there were also Romans. Uh, immediately they had Greeks and Egyptians. Uh, we know that there were Libyans and there were people from the island of Crete. Um, there were people from different parts of Asia. And you just think about all the different traditions and beliefs and all of these things that they would have pulled into this thing politically, right? 
we think about how, like the craziness of what we face in a two-party system, okay? Understand that politics uh, back then in the first century uh, in Rome were way more complicated. Um, you had the uh, you had what were known as the Herodians. You had the publicans. You had the zealots. You had the Galileans. Um, there was actually part of a religious group, the Sanhedrin, that kind of took on a political role as well. And all of these people from these different political groups, they were coming in and they were becoming a part of the church. And not only that, you had people from all these different religious backgrounds, right? You had from the Jews, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes. From the Romans, there were all of these different types of mystery uh, religions. Um, you had Samaritans. Um, you had polytheistic uh, uh, religions that people had been coming from. And on top of that, they were at different like uh, stratuses, uh, economic. Economically, you had very poor people and you had very rich people and they're all coming into the church and they're just supposed to be unified and of one accord and just deeply, wonderfully, relationally connected until they have their first political conversation, right? Just, and it's, right? How did they do this, right? Because that early church thrived. And, and what I want to go back to is actually in that passage uh, that I read there were actually some things there that actually helped them create moments of meaningful connection that just blessed them, that did good things, probably did good things in their families, their friendships, and in the church. And I want the same thing for you. And so I want to just talk about two things, two things that we see out of that early church that coincidentally you also see modeled by Christ in here that just has a practical side of what we can step into. So, that, so that's my whole sermon. Two points here, right? So here's the first point. The first point is this, um, or first step, create synchronized moments. And you're like, synchronized moments? What, what do you mean by synchronized moments? You're probably thinking of synchronized swimming or something right now. And that's kind of close to what I mean by this. Uh, so what I mean by like uh, creating synchronized moments is moments where you have a shared experience of the same thing, the same experience or activity or whatever it is that puts you on the same page as the other person or persons. It's so that you're like synchronized around something. Uh, another way to, to think of this uh, maybe is, and I'm going to date myself here, you know, before there were like uh, watches with like quartz movements or your phone that like automatically syncs with the internet that gives you, you know, perfect time all of the time. Um, uh, there would be movies and there would be like, like an old movie that'd have an action scene where there was like some special forces team that's going to go in on this, you know, uh, this mission. And you remember what they would do? Like there'd be this group and before they would go on the mission, they would all like huddle up and they're in their outfits or whatever. And they would all go, okay, let's what? Synchronize our watches, right? And the leader would be like, okay, let's synchronize. Ready? On my mark now. And they're like, and, they, and somehow they just all got their watches synced up. So that whatever they were doing moving forward, it's like they were all on the same page. And this is about creating moments that like put us all on the same page relationally. There's something that connects you relationally in all of this. Um, and this becomes important. And you see this with what that early church uh, did. So like if you look back I'm going to just read it out of this translation again. If you look back at, uh, look at verse uh, 46, and it says, and day 
by day. So there's like this frequency of this, right? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They partook, there's that great word, and they partook, you can go, you can partake in a Mother's Day meal uh, later uh, today. Um, They partook of food with glad and generous hearts. Now, there's some simple activities that they do. It's like going to church, sharing meals together that actually kind of have this effect. There's this, to, to synchronize it, it's like, there's this like regularity to it, but there's also, they've infused some sort of meaning into something that is like a, a somewhat mundane activity in here. But don't miss that this is not a big deal. Like take just sharing a meal together. Remember, you have people from really different backgrounds, right? You have people, right? Think of if you're not Jewish, you probably have an idea of like how involved a Jewish meal would be and the kinds of food that would be there and would not be there. And think about someone growing up in that. And now they're going to sit down and share a meal with a Greek, right? Who's like, my family, you know, we start with a BLT, right? That's just like, and it's just like, what do we do now, right? Just think of how different they would have been in their traditions and their understandings. But something beautiful starts to happen because every time they sit down for that meal, it's like, okay, we got to figure this out. We got to talk about this. I want to know more about you and you're going to know more about me. And they start forming their own traditions and their own ways of doing meals, right? Um, Uh, Think about uh, your family. Think about your family growing up. What were meals like in your family growing up, right? Was it just, did you have a small family, a big family? You know, were meals rushed? You know, I grew up and it was just, it was just four of us, my sister and me and my mom and dad. And it's not like, uh, you know, we were like, you know, and I mean, we had manners. I mean, we, we weren't like apes or something at the dinner table, but, but you know, we weren't real formal, um, and then uh, one time we went and visited uh, relatives in Oklahoma and they, and like uh, uh, my uncle's family had way more kids than us. And then there were cousins that came over and it was like a great big meal. And it's like, this is wonderful. All of these people, right? And then like the first time they said grace, amen. And like Julie and I are like, what just happened now? It's just like, you know, it's just like, had to get a little bit of getting used to like how this operates in this thing. And it's just because we were different, right? We just, and just, and think about what they went through. But every time you go through that, you're getting to know them. There's something that you're connecting with in all of this around that meal, the conversations that happen. And they're infusing meaning into this. Jesus models this, right? There's, what we know of as the Last Supper. And Jesus takes this meal, and this is a perfect example where he brings them all in to this kind of synchronized moment. Goes through and takes the bread and the wine. And he says, I want to infuse some meaning in this. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know what I am willing to do for you. I'll give up my life I'll give up my body. I'll shed my blood for you. And he infuses this meaning in it. And here's what I love that he does. Not just a one-time deal, is it? He says, I want you to do this again. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And now 2,000 years later, 
Christians across the globe, different frequencies, different, you know, ways, but we continue to share that meal of the bread and the wine. And every time we do it, what does it do? It synchronizes us back to, I'm loved by Jesus, sacrificially. You're loved by Jesus. You've got the bread and the cup too, and you are. And it reminds us, and every time we're reminded of this, think of what that does. It just like it re-centers us back into, yep, this is who we are. This is who we are. And there's something meaningful. I, like, I'm connected to you, and you're connected to me. Like, we, we share in this really special and unique kind of relationship with Jesus. He created a moment for us, didn't he? Before Jesus left this earth, he says, I'm going to help you create some moments that are going to create meaningful connection between you and other followers of mine. And, you know, Jesus would do these sorts of things where he would create these moments and connect his own disciples and his followers uh, even before he did this meal. And you see the net effect of it, what it does. There's a, there's a beautiful moment where you see the disciples um, and Jesus describes something to them. Uh, over in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He's taught through all of this stuff, and here are his disciples who, like, they've been in these moments after moment after moment with him, and, and he redefines their relationship here. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 15. He says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. And I love this. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. See, that's describing a meaningful connection. What Jesus is saying is, you know me. You see me. Think of the, there's so many times where Jesus goes in and he teaches someplace or he does something and there are people are just like, ah, no, I don't get that. Or no, that, I can't go with you on that one, Jesus. That's like too far. That's just, all these different things. But here are the disciples and they've walked this out with Jesus. They know where Jesus is coming from. They are seeing more and more the depth of his love and his acceptance and his desire for human beings. And Jesus is like, you guys, you guys know what I'm really up to. And he redefines the relationship. I call you friends. You're my friends. But it's because he had, he had created all of these ongoing moments, these synchronized moments that kept putting them on the same page, the same experience. So I want to I wanna challenge you. Step into this. Do this. Um, we do this as a church, right? So think about that early church when it talked about like they, they, you know, they walked together to temple. Like there, there was some sort of worship experience that they went through. And here we are every week. We have a moment where we get to come in here and worship together. You get to join online and hear the music, sing the music. And as we go over those words and we think about the words of those songs, it's, it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's an exercise, like it's a synchronized moment where we are going through the same experience. But what it's doing in that moment is it's like, I'm hearing your voice. 
You're hearing my voice. It's like, okay, I see you. Like, you're in this with me. You see Jesus the same way as I do. You're putting your hope in him. You're, you're someone that is resting in his love, his guidance for your life. And it does something for us, doesn't it? It's just, you could say it's just a routine thing. But that routine thing helps us connect in a more meaningful way. And you can do this in your family, right? Uh, just th- taking moments to do something, and it may seem mundane, it may seem ordinary, it may be something that's special, but it's, it's, pulling, it's pulling people, it's pulling family into this or friends into this and going through it in a special way. Like many of you are gonna have a moment to celebrate Mother's Day in some way. Make sure you infuse meaning into it. Take a moment and share a story. Embarrass your mom with something wonderful or beautiful. Let her know why she's special, right? And you're just infusing meaning into this thing because there's something that you share that begins to pull you together. Um, you can do this in ordinary ways. Uh, and I say this to parents, and I really, it wasn't, it was interesting. It, it's really hit me that my dad knew how to do this. But I don't know that he knew he was always doing this. And I think he's in this service somewhere. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, Dad, but that, that's okay. Um, uh, so uh, when I grew up, I, we lived out, you know, way up in the Tucson Mountains, and the bus stop was, it, it was a long ways. It was like three miles away, all uphill in the snow every day through the snow. It was dreadful, right? So my dad, uh, every morning, would drive me to the bus stop. Uh, and there were times when my sister was going to the bus stop at a different time. In fact, that, that was frequent oftentimes. And he would drive her uh, to the bus stop. And there were lots of times where he would drive me to the bus stop and he could have just dropped me off at the bus stop. That'd be great. And gone off to work. He was a, he was a busy guy. He had lots of responsibility doing all of these things. I, I wouldn't have thought another thing if he would have dropped. I would have been like, thank you for the ride. I didn't want to slosh through the Tucson snow again, right? Um, <clears throat> But he did this thing, uh, and, and I was thinking about this this morning. Um, he kind of always timed it where there, were, there was this old radio show, and I think it was called J. Vernon McGee's Walk Through the Bible or, or something. Like some of you remember this show. It, it just lasted a few minutes or something. Always timed it where we kind of got to listen to this thing. And then he had often turned the radio off, and he had asked me questions. And he, he had this way of getting me to talk and share. I never felt lectured to. He found a way to engage and talk with me. And then we'd sit at the bus stop until the bus came. And what I did not know was happening was he, was, he had this synchronized moment where he was engaging something on a regular basis that was secretly drawing me out and getting me to talk about life and all of these different things. And it just infused this profound sense of meaningfulness into my relationship with my dad. And, I, uh, it, and it hit me in the middle of my last sermon as I was talking. There was something he did there that has taught me to do that with my own son. That all of a sudden it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, there are these moments where I've paused and I've asked questions just like my dad did. There's moments where I, I was like, I've got to talk with Chandler. Let's get in the truck and drive. I just drive in the truck because that's, I had so many conversations with my dad in the truck that were good conversations. And you can do the same thing. 
It's like you can ask a question. You don't, you, you don't have to have profound insight. You don't just create a moment that you infuse with something meaningful, a, mean, a caring question, and get it, do something that maybe has a frequency to it and watch what it does. Because the early church had all of these different synchronized moments in it. Okay, second step, second step you can do, and it's this, create moments with shared struggle, okay? And this one I just think is really, really important because there is something really powerful that happens when we have a shared struggle. When you and one other person or 20 other people, whatever it is, when we as human beings go through a shared struggle and, and come out on the other side, bruised and bloodied or what, it doesn't matter. You go through a shared struggle, it has a way, if you can hold on to each other going through it, it has a way of bonding you together in a profound way. And it doesn't have to be some deep struggle of epic proportion. It just, any kind of struggle. Um, let me illustrate this uh, to you. So uh, one of the things my family did when I was growing up um, is that we went rafting. How many of you have ever been rafting? Okay, a bunch of you. So, so most families, when they go like on a family uh, rafting trip, uh, they do this thing where they actually go and they find like a professional c uh, company with professional um, people who've been trained in how to go rafting and they have professional high-grade equipment and you pay them and, and they actually put you on a raft and they have a, a guide who knows what he's doing that keeps you safe and you go rafting. Um, that's really smart. Not what my family ever did, okay? My family did it a little different way. In fact, one time we were on a family vacation uh, over the summer and we were in New Mexico and we watched as people signed up to get on rafts guided by professional guides and they would get in like uh, the Rio Grande and uh, the Pecos River and they would raft. And so my family was just like, let's go rafting. So we came home and the next summer we decided to go rafting. But here's how we did it. My mom and dad went down, I think it was Price Club at the time or Costco. They went down and got a couple of like uh, like two-man rafts that, like for a pool with plastic paddles is what they did. They bought, maybe they bought three. I don't know. We popped a bunch of them. Um, uh, so we took those rafts and we went over the next summer rafting uh, in the Pecos and the Rio Grande River. And the first time we did it, um, my uncle came with us who was actually like the same age as me. My mom, I, uh, five siblings, and she was the oldest. And her youngest brother was just a little bit older than me. So he was like a cousin to me. So we thought, let's take him along, right? So we get out there and we blow up the rafts. And it's like Glenn and Ed, who was my cousin slash uncle, right? Just like the two of you should go because... You, you carry the most profound knowledge and wealth of rafting of any of us, which is zero, right? We didn't know what we were doing. We'd never been rafting before in our lives, none of us. So Ed and I get into the raft on the Pecos River and we dive in. And I remember telling Ed, I was like, okay, you don't lose the paddle because there were these little plastic paddles that you would screw together and we broke one, like screwing it together. And so we were down a paddle and like we only like, and I was just like, just don't lose the paddle because we got to make these paddles last, you know, the rest of the week or whatever. So we get in and we're paddling. We were like Lewis and Clark, man. I mean, just like, we're just like, we had this figured out. We owned the Pecos River, right? Then we get to the, and we went over some little rapids and it was great. And then we get to this one spot where there's a fork in the river 
And the, the main current's kind of dragging us over to the right. And we don't know what we're doing, so we just, like, we just kind of go in that direction. And there were a couple of fishermen off to the side that were chuckling at this moment. And we were like, you know, let's go. You know, what's, we just went over and looked at them. And one of the guys yells, go to the left. Go to the left. And we're like, okay. And we're like, and we tried and tried and tried. Didn't even come close, right? Just because we don't know. We mostly just did this as we were trying to paddle over here, just like, mm. and um, and then we're just like, and then we could hear them laughing, and we're just like, they're just giving, like whatever. And then, then as we were now like fully committed to going down the right side, I yelled back. I'm like, why did you say go to the left? And the guy chuckles and he goes, there's a waterfall on the right. Yeah, we're like, ha, <laughs> no. Ten minutes later, Lewis and Clark going down the river. And we hear this gentle roar in the distance. Yeah, true story. And as we get closer and closer, it gets louder and louder. Now, it wasn't Niagara Falls, okay? And we did survive. I made it, right? Um, but it was probably like an 8 to 12 foot waterfall. To us, in a little kiddie pool raft... It seemed like a really big deal. We were kind of panicked in this moment. Our problem was on the right side was just like, it was like all cliffs. Like we were like the, on this side. And the space between where, and we couldn't tell where the river was on the other side where it forked, but it was solid. And I mean solid trees between us and the other side. So it was like solid trees on this side and like there was no getting out and cliff on this side. And we're just like, okay, what's the plan? What's the plan? I, 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 like, I don't know. And we get closer and closer and you just, you could see the water going over. And so I grabbed the front of the, I was in the front. I just grabbed the raft and I'm like, and don't lose the paddle, whatever you do. Like we've got to have like, and I'm just hanging on and we get to the edge and it's just kind of panic city as you get closer and closer to this. And then right as we're getting ready to go over the end, it's like someone threw on the brakes. It's just like, and I'm like, what's going on right now? I look back, Ed has wrapped his feet around the rope on the, that goes around the, the raft. And with one hand, he's got the paddle in one hand. With the other hand, he reached up and grabbed a branch. You know, the trees on that side. He grabbed this branch and he's just being stretched out like he's on one of those torture machines in the London of Tower or something. And he's just like, and he's holding on. And I'm just like, we got to come up with a better plan. This doesn't have longevity. And then I look back and all of a sudden, snap, the branch breaks and Ed goes back. His foot comes out. He goes in the water. I go over the waterfall. I mean, the raft goes down and around and I come up and I'm hanging onto the raft and it's just like flooded with water. And I look back and I'm like, where's Ed? And all of a sudden, Ed pops and he's like, and he's going to and he's got the branch in one hand and the paddle in the other. I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, we're going to live somehow. Right? Now, I tell you this story, right? And we went on, we had other adventures uh, that week. We, we should have died so many times. It's not even funny, all right? Um, but here's the thing. I don't remember hardly anything else from that summer, but I remember that rafting, right? Ed and I were Bonded. I mean, when we drove back from New Mexico, that is all our family talked about, right? Because we went through this struggle of trying to learn and, and it was, and there were, you know, hard times and difficult, just all those things, all the adversity and going through it had this way of pulling us together. When you go through adversity with others, 
it pulls you together. It creates a connection that is a meaningful connection because you feel like you've been with them in something. You, you, like, it feels like you'll be there for me. You'll be with me in this. And this is important. We need this. You know, when you think about uh, the early church, like, they were, they went through some things. Ever go through something and you look back and go, man, the, the, those were tough times. But you went through it with somebody and you're like, huh, man, I like them, right? That's like, because it bonded you. I was thinking about this. When Angie and I, uh, we were first married and not long after we were married, we moved to Chicago. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have enough money. We ate rice, I'm just, we were lucky if we split one chicken breast between the two of us, and then we'd make rice because rice was cheap. And we thought we were living like kings and queens because we would put Molly McButter on our rice. And we would sit there and talk about how good Molly McButter was. I don't even know if they make that stuff anymore. But it was just, it was just like it was the two of us, and we we're kind of going through this adversity and trying to figure out life as newlyweds and going through all this stuff. And it had this way of pulling us together. Um, when we got our first house, it was like a major fixer-upper kind of house. And man, did we have some good arguments <laughs> over that thing. And moments were just like, Rrr. and now Angie looked back and was just like, you know, but those, so glad we went through that. Because the adversity of what we navigate, it like had a way of pulling us together. Ever go through something adverse, but there was someone with you in it? Changed how you thought about them, didn't it? And so, like you see this. So the early church, um, you know, they faced persecution of so many sorts early, early on. There were a lot of people because of their religious traditions, because of their family traditions, that when they decided to become a follower of Christ, their families abandoned them. Talk about adversity. But they navigated that together, trying to figure all of this out. What's interesting is in chapter two of, of Acts, right, you see you know, they start in all of these activities. They're, they're, they're trying to create this connection. I want you to look back at, um, look back at Acts, only this time go to chapter four. And I want you to just see where the church has come in a couple of chapters. This is uh, Acts chapter four, verse 32. It says this, and again, just describing the early church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Yeah, because they're creating these synchronized moments. They're, they're, they're learning to see one another, to create their own traditions with one another, to go through adversity together. They were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And they, because for some of them, it meant survival if they didn't take care of one another. And they just, but they did, I mean, they are growing in their sense of meaningful connection uh, through all of this. Um, uh, drop down to verse 34, uh, it, where uh, Luke goes on in describing it and says, um, uh, that there were uh, no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, uh, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's just... A remarkable kind of generosity 
that doesn't just happen flippantly, does it? It was happening because they were coming together. They were being bonded together, friends, because they had meaningful connection. When we struggle together, my story becomes our story. Your story becomes my story in this. So find a way to create moments of shared struggle. Uh, and you can do this in little ways and in significant ways. And in fact, I, I want to just close out and just kind of three ways to applicate this, um, this idea of shared struggle. One, you can just create moments of struggle, right? If you're a family, go rafting. <laughs> you don't even have to try to make it a struggle, right? Who's ever gone on a rafting trip that just went smooth and perfect in the way it was supposed to? No, because, well, now maybe with the professionals. But I know when you're using pool rafts, it never goes well, right? There's always something that goes wrong. There's always adversity of some type, right? Um, and if the rafting seems a little too risky, I don't know, try camping. Or if that's not, you know, go camping at a Motel 8 or something. I don't know. Like, there, but there's things that you can step into and say, we, we're going to go through this. We're, we're going to tackle this endeavor uh, on this. Um, I think about uh, this in this way. You know, there, because there, there are struggles that you can choose, right? There are things you say, let's go through this, and we know this is going to be hard. It's going to push us. There'll be something good that we're going to go through uh, on this. But isn't this also true? There's moments where struggle comes our way and it's not our choosing. Think of a moment and, and do this. Think of a moment um, where you entered into a time where it was, it was a struggle for you. You were hurting. But someone came alongside you. What was that moment like? I really mean, think of a moment when somebody came alongside you in a moment of struggle. You're just beside yourself. You were lost in your own head. You didn't know, like, making decisions was like swimming through peanut butter. And there's just someone that was there, and they just encouraged you, or they were with you. Um, maybe they had uh, offered great advice, maybe no advice at all. They were just a listening ear. Do you remember what that was like for you? Now give that away. When you see a coworker, and you know that they're struggling, just quietly offer to, just to come alongside them. Just to say, you know, I see you. I see the struggle. And maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's just, you'll make it. Or if you ever need to just talk, I'm there. Be like, and you, what you will find is, you'll have a friend. You might have a friend for life. Because when people enter into our struggles and endeavor through that with us, it pulls us together, doesn't it? And the third one is this, and I say this for uh, those of you that, um, and it, that, that maybe struggle um, like me, that in moments of struggle, in, sh in moments where things get hard or difficult, it's not always easy for you to ask for help. Right? Because it's just like, well, I, you know, I know it's hard, but I can make it. Right? And I just, and that's me. That's my shadow. That's my baggage at times where I'm just like, I don't need any help. I've got this. Right? Because that's how I want to think of myself at times. But here's the deal. That's at my loss. It doesn't matter if you can make it on your own. 
Like, I, I, like for me, this has been a lesson of learning to not ask, not to worry about that question. But it's to say when I go through times of struggle or times that are difficult, to invite others to be with me in it. You know why? Because if I, if I, if I open the door and let them go with me through it, it's providing something much deeper. It's, it's allowing me to create moments of meaningful connection with them. And all of us, starting with me, can always use more meaningful connection in our lives, friends. We need, what we don't need is more and more contacts on our phone. Great if you have them, great if you don't. That's not the big need. We need moments that build meaningful connections. So step into that this week and next week. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer here. And as I do, I just want to say, um, if, uh, if you're a mom here, we have flowers. We, just to help create a wonderful moment for you. Uh, this morning with you and your church family. We've got some flowers. And on your way out, uh, moms, go and get a flower here on flower on Flower's Day, on Mother's Day uh, here. <clears throat> that would be a weird day. Um, I was thinking of hippie jokes and I just go in the wrong direction. Just need to end this thing, right? Um, uh, if you're new here or visiting or we've never had a chance to meet, I'm going to be right over here. I'd love to meet you this morning. Why don't you stand and uh, we'll... We'll close in prayer. Let, let me pray. Father, I just, uh, I just, I thank you for scripture and I thank you for the example that the early church uh, laid out and just uh, even your son, Jesus Christ and, and how much he loves us and the things that he did to just keep pulling us in and reminding us of the great work and great love that he has for us. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Mother's Day and we'll see you next Sunday. Like a firefly in Tokyo